You're listening to a Wheels on the Ground production. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Come As You Are. Come As You Are is Canada's only worker-owned co-op sex shop. Trans-owned and operated, Come As You Are carefully reviews and curates their selection of sex toys, books, and DVDs. Now you can get 15% off your next purchase at comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Clonawilly.com. Clonawilly and Clonopussy are do-it-yourself molding kits that allow anyone to make an exact replica of any penis or vulva into a sex toy at home. All materials are ethically sourced and 100% body safe. If you shop at Clonawilly.com right now and use the promo code DARKPOD at checkout, you can get 20% off site-wide. Wow! That's a deal that cannot be cloned. I talked to one of the representatives the other day, and they are more than willing to answer any questions you have about how to make your own clone willy or clone pussy, how to use the kit. They're so, so willing to go on this journey of cloning a willy or cloning a pussy with you, and they're super nice and super responsive to any concerns. So if you want to pick up your own clone willy or clone a pussy kit right now, head over to clonawilly.com and use promo code DARKPOD, that's D-A-R-K-P-O-D at checkout right now. And remember, this is a deal that cannot be cloned. Hey there, Disability After Dark listeners, Andrew here. I want to tell you all about a really awesome deal that I got from my friends and new sponsors, Adam and Eve the number one adult toy superstore, they reached out to me and they said, Andrew, we love Disability After Dark. We love your show. We love what you're doing. And we were wondering if you wanted to run some ads for us. And I was like, fuck yes, I do. But what are my awesome listeners going to get if I run ads for you? What are they going to get out of this? And they came back with a really fantastic deal that I want to share with you right now. I hope you're getting comfy, cozy, and crippled because this deal is pretty great. If you go to AdamEve.com, you can pick out almost any item in the store, almost any one item in the store, for 50% off. That means you can get one dildo, one lube, and one thing of lingerie if you want for 50% off. And then, once you get that one item for half price, they throw in even more free stuff. Let me tell you all about it. Okay, so you got your one item at half price in your bag and you're ready to go, but guess what? This offer also includes 10 free items on top of that that other item. So you get one free item for penis havers, one free item for vulva havers, one free item for couples, and then you also get six free movies from the AdamEve.com website. You can get your favorite porn or an educational film. I love free movies. They're so awesome. This is such a great deal. And then, on top of that, you also get free shipping. What could be better? This is such a great offer. 
So to redeem this great offer, what you're going to do is you're going to go to adameve.com. You're going to go to checkout and you're going to type in dark pod. That's D-A-R-K-P-O-D at checkout. And you're going to get one item, almost anything in the store at 50% off. And then you're going to get those 10 free gifts, absolutely free as part of your offer. This is such a great deal. And this is just for you, Disability After Dark listeners. And I hope you run over to AdamEve.com and take advantage of it right now. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. This is a podcast that looks at disability stories. It's like sitting down with a really close friend to have a real conversation about disability, sexuality, and everything else about the disability experience that we don't talk about. The things about being disabled we keep in the dark. Here is your deliciously disabled host, disability awareness consultant, Andrew Gerza. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome to the show, friends. Thank you so much for clicking on this brand new episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories. I am your deliciously disabled host, Andrew Gerza. Let's get comfy, cozy, and crippled and get this show started, shall we? Friends, I have some pretty fantastic news that I want to share with you before we start the show. On... Friday night, while I was at my brother's wedding, congratulations Alex and Allison, while I was at my brother's wedding, I was informed that I am a winner of a Canadian podcast award for this very program that you are listening here. I won the Outstanding Adult Program Award, the Outstanding Adult Series Award at the 2021 Canadian Podcast Awards. So that's cool. Really, really excited that, that a show all about sex, disability, and everything in between, and that shines a light on disability stories, and that has done all this stuff for five years, can now say I'm an award-winning podcaster. Wow, that's really cool. And, you know, I really, really appreciate the recognition from the Canadian Podcast Awards because I make this show, as you all know, out of my bedroom with all of our bonus episodes and all those things. I do all of it from here in my house right now where I'm recording. So thank you so much for listening and thank you for being a part of this journey. And now you're listening to an award-winning podcast. That's so cool. But I just wanted to share that with you. And I can also put up the, I put up my my win on Twitter the other day, my like pre-recorded win, but I can put it up on Instagram too. So I'll let you know. I'll put it up there so you can watch it. But um, let's get started with this award-winning podcast right now. If you want to support this award-winning program and get the show one day early, as well as a sexy, awkward shout-out from your deliciously disabled daddy, Andrew Gerza, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark and you'll get the show one day early and a, and a sexy shout out for me. So if you can do that, go there and pledge. But if you can't pledge financially, which I totally understand and respect, you can also go to the place where you listen and leave us a review 
so that we more people can hear about the show. And on the show now, we also have our bonus shows like The Handicast and Cripology and so many different series within this podcast feed right here. So there's so much going on on Disability After Dark because I think um, I just have so many more things I want to say and I don't want to create whole different shows for it. So... So, you can now hear it all on this feed, so get excited for the main show on Saturdays, plus different shows, like Cripologies and the Handicast within the feed. Very exciting. But now, let's get to the main show today. On the show today, I sit down and talk with my new friend, Laura Wolford, who is a speech-language pathologist, and we talk about her connections to speech-language pathology and how she thinks that we need to be talking about sexuality and disability with speech-language pathologists because we're not doing that enough and why that's an important conversation that we need to have. And I promise you, it's a really, really important conversation that we have about how these therapists need to be talking about sex. And I ask her whether or not she thinks, you know, for individuals engaging in oral sex who have issues with swallowing and speech and stuff like that. Should we be talking about this and how do we do that? We also have a conversation about her own feelings about claiming disability and we talk about her her business venture with the Spice Institute and we talk about how that's important for her and what that means for speech-language pathology. And I learn a lot about what speech-language pathology actually is because I didn't know a lot about it myself. And she says in the interview that so many people don't know what speech-language pathology is, and so she helps us understand a little bit about what that is, plus so much more. I love sitting down with her and having this discussion, and I do believe that speech-language partners do need to have discussions about sexuality and disability, and we talk so much about physiotherapy and and occupational therapy and sex and disability, but never have I spoken to a speech-language pathologist about sex, but now I got to. So I'm really excited to share this interview with Laura Wolfer of the Spice Institute with you, and I hope you enjoy, right here on Disability After Dark. Oh yeah, just before we go to the interview, when we were recording this, we recorded this back in April, and Laura had called her business at that point the language of sex, but she's since changed it to the Spice Institute. So her contact info that she li- that she gives at the end of her interview is not going to be the same. So let me give that to you right now if you want to follow her. Actually, you know what? I'll give it to you at the end. But know that when we talk about her business in the interview, she actually means the Spice Institute and not the language of sex. She changed the name. So I'll give you her contact info at the end. And now on to the interview. Laura Wolford, hello. Hi, thank you for having me here, Andrew. Hi, it's such a pleasure to have you on Disability After Dark. How are you today? I'm doing okay. How are you? Uh, you well, you know, it's day 1,000 million of a pandemic. But other than that, I'm doing good. <laughs> I'm doing good. Um, sure. You reached out to me way back in January and we're like, I want to be on your show. And we've finally, through like disability waiting and through like, you know, me having to cancel eight million times, finally have are sitting down. I'm so excited. 
I'm excited too. And thank you, truly thank you for having me. I've been listening to your show for a while now and I, this it feels like an honor and a thrill and also terrifying. Oh, don't be scared. It's just, we're <laughs> literally just having a chat. It's low. It's, hey. Um, and I also love, you know, I wasn't going to mention this, but I also love that you nominated me for an American Association of Sexuality Educators, Therapists, and Counselors podcast award, which I found out last night that I lost. But so sorry. <laughs> it was so cool that they nominated me based on your recommendation. So thank you very much for that. Um, it just happened like, like 12 hours ago so I was like I, I may as well announce it because it's fun and it's cool that a show like this has such impact especially for someone for someone who works in your field so I'm I'm excited by that but for anybody listening who who you would want to introduce yourself to can you tell us a little bit about yourself who you are and what you do of course. Um, my name is Laura Wolford. I am a speech language pathologist. I am an academic. I work at a university and I am also the founder for a small new company called The Language for Sex. I'm trying to teach speech therapists to talk about sex and intimacy with their clients because we don't and that's bad. Yeah. And that's <laughs> something when you brought it up to me in the questionnaire and we'll get to it in a minute. When you, when you brought it up to me in the questionnaire, I was like, oh, even I as a like seasoned sex educator and a seasoned like disability awareness mm -hmm. consultant was like, I never understood that that was a problem until right then. And then I was like, oh yeah, of course it is. So like, <laughs> not, not that it's right, but it makes sense that it's so not talked about because, because even I was like, oh yeah. Yeah. At first, when uh, I talk to people, especially outside of the speech pathology field, because honestly, nobody knows what we do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's just true. Uh, they're like, oh, well, why should an SLP, like I'm down because I'm a sex educator or I'm down because I'm like interested in this, but really why should you be talking about sex with your clients? And then it all just like, oh, oh no. Like, oh, communication is actually really important. Communication yeah. is so important. Oh no, oh no. It becomes so much larger uh, than people even realize and there are so many layers like I was just thinking about it as you, were telling, <laughs> as you were talking about that and I was like you know sex is a form of its own communication and if you can't or or ignore the fact that there are communication barriers for a lot of people most people but especially those who have like understood barriers and you just mm -hmm. ignore that ignore the communicative part of sex then you're, you're doing a disservice to whole swath of the population. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a, it's definitely a different kind of communication too. And so it's this entire, it's this entire area that we just ignore. Okay. I'm going to jump around to the questions because, because sure, we're here, we're do. here, we're here now. So let's just go. Yeah, here. we are. So like, why, why do you think that speech language pathologists actually, before we do that, can you, can you describe, cause I'm, I myself am a little bit confused about what an SLP does. I get an idea of what of what you do, but I'm also I have no idea. So can you can you to, no? Can you I mean, I, I was not kidding when I said that no one understands what we do. Um, uh, so speech language pathology is a giant field, and there are some speech pathologists or speech therapists that work with um, little kids and work on articulation and saying their S's and R's. There are some that focus on uh, people with autism. There are some that 
focus on more the medical side of things. And that that's me. Um, I uh, work with older adults uh, and I uh, used to work in hospital. Now I work outpatient. So people come to me um, and they're people who have had strokes or traumatic brain injuries. Some of them have diagnoses of progressive diseases like Parkinson disease or um, ALS and uh, they have communication changes with these diagnoses, um, difficulty finding the right words, difficulty moving the muscles of their mouth and their lips, difficulty getting the information from the brain to the muscles to actually make them move in the way that they want. And so we work on both get finding the right words, uh, getting them out with our muscles, um, and then also weirdly swallowing uh, is a large part of my job too. And I mean, you know, I mean, I make a joke on social media probably about once every three months where I'm like, you know, I have trouble swallowing as somebody with CP and it's my, you know, I also have a, a higher risk of choking because of the the, the muscles of my throat have issues because mm-hmm. of the specificity. So I make a joke every, about, probably about three months where I say like, you know, I'm probably going to die of choking, but when I do choke, I do hope it's on something big and large that I enjoy. So <laughs> I make that joke all the time. And I, I bring it up because I wonder like what is the and I, just so we're all clear and I'm gonna make another joke right here I do enjoy swallowing um but I wonder what is what is the the why is swallowing a thing that you work on why is that part of of being an SLP you know it's kind of weird for a long time no one really worked on swallowing and then uh, in about the 70s we realized actually um in children with cp the kids who had difficulty moving their mouths for speech also had difficulty moving their mouths for swallowing because it's the same mouth Um, and so and a lot of the things that they were doing to try to help with the speech stuff were somewhat helpful for the swallowing stuff and so it just kind of grew from there it does feel separate and weird um but no one else was doing it and so now speech pathologists do it and like I do x-ray studies and radiology of people swallowing so it's gotten much more complex since then like I wasn't gonna go here but I it is a thought I it. it is a thought I have and it's, I wonder you know because of your work in sexuality and because a lot of people with disabilities want to learn how to give better oral sex and better mm-hmm. cunnilingus or or fellatio um i wonder if like is there is there an overlap of like let's teach you how to swallow someone without choking or feeling uncomfortable or is is there and do you think there's any overlap in speech language pathologists working on teaching people how to have better oral sex is there currently not really could there be yeah could there be (laughs) Do you think there should be an overlap with this type of therapy to discuss like better oral sex? I mean, not again, done in a way that's very like clinical and respectful and like, yo, I'm into it, right? Like sex is part of life. I, and I think that the fact that we break it out into the separate thing that we don't talk about is absolute garbage. Um, there is a, uh, Uh, honestly, a very famous and well-respected speech pathologist named Ianessa Humbert, who um, actually recently did a few Instagram lives with a sex educator, Reba the Diva, uh, and they were talking about 
swallowing because Ianessa is a swallowing specialist, uh, swallowing and sex. And they talked about cunnilingus. They talked about fellatio. They talked about all sorts of things and like managing fluids when you have something in your mouth or when you're in different positioning. And it, it was very interesting. And I think as people who, as speech pathologists who understand the anatomy, um, it really would behoove us to understand that more and to talk about that because my clients want to have sex. They do have sex and some of them have swallowing issues. And we could talk about things like how to manage having oral sex when you go home out of the hospital. It's important. It really is. And I think, you know, just like we, just like there's a big push right now for occupational therapists to engage in discussions of sex. I think speech language with all this and also you know how do you just on a side note how do you feel about the term speech language pathologist because pathology means like you know bad stuff <laughs> so like do you think they should change it to like speech language therapist or something a little uh there's this whole discussion in our field about like oh well as a pathologist we get to diagnose things and that's i mean that's true i do diagnose certain disorders um and therapists don't get to diagnose things. And it's, some people get really up in arms by, about like being called our correct title. Um, and other people think that our correct title doesn't actually discuss at all what we do. Um, and it's weird and stilted and very long. So I just try to stay out of it to be perfectly frank. Um, I, I can't think of a title that I think is perfect. Um, so, eh. I, you know, I almost feel like speech language partner because oh, you, and the, I like that. you and the person you're working with are a team. They are the one with the lived experience and you're the one with the level of expertise and like, I mean, they have a level of expertise too, obviously, but you have, of course, you have a, a separate level from them and you can work together as a team. So maybe it's like speech language partner that way, like they're not removed from the thing and you're not removed from their experience and you can do it I together want that on a shirt <laughs> we should put it on the shirt we should get it on the shirt yeah <laughs> amazing you should you should tell your colleagues that this is what i'm calling myself now thank you very much i love it <laughs> um can you now when you wrote me one of the things that you wrote in the very beginning of your questionnaire was that you were struggling with whether or not you should look and look at your various I want to say disabilities but your various how do how do I term this you're the things that you live with the whole situation <laughs> yeah you you were struggling to determine if your situation warranted you calling yourself disabled so can you kind of tell us um what your situation is and what your I'm gonna say disabilities but Please you, don't, do. you don't have to apply that for you. What your disabilities are and how they impact your day to day. Yeah. Um, so I have a relatively no diagnosis of ADHD. And actually, thank you for that, Andrew. Talk about that in a second, I guess. Uh, and anxiety and chronic pain. Me too, uh, me too, me yay, too. Yes, yes. Yeah, <laughs> yay. Uh, which I think is digestive, but it's not like well diagnosed so who the heck knows me too uh, <laughs> i have like this over this like overarching con- 
diagnosis of IBS, but maybe it's uh-huh. not IBS, but they don't know, but it hurts, but good luck with it. And oh, you mm-hmm. poo yourself and like, okay, but we don't know what it is. So bye, but you're fine. Yeah, it's very fun. Yeah, the, uh, we don't believe it's gallbladder is what I've got. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> you're like, okay, great. Uh, but yeah, to speak to your point, I, uh, I don't know. So I'm a person who has like a lot of things that I guess could be identifiers are identifiers that I don't feel like I get to actually claim. I'm, my mother is Taiwanese and Chinese. My father is like Irish and German. I look super white. How Chinese do I get to claim that I am? Um, I, I live with an incredible amount of privilege. I'm bisexual, but I'm a cis woman who is married to a cis man. Like, how bisexual do I get to claim? Because uh, again, I, I've lived with an incredible amount of passing privilege. And I, like, all my disabilities, if that's what I want to call them, I mean, I. Okay, well, let's back up a little. Let's let's back up a little bit. Like, uh-huh. <laughs> how does the term disability make you feel? Like, does it make you feel like, oh no, I can, that can't be me because I'm afraid of it, or like because in a lot of like most of your questionnaire was, I don't think I'm allowed to claim this. What do I do? Uh-huh. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm wondering, like, do you feel are you just afraid of appropriating something, or are you? I think. That- that's it. Yeah. I feel like my, my experience has been very much that anytime I claim an identifier, somebody else gets to use that, um, to check a box. Oh, and... so it's not even so, it's not even so much like that you wouldn't identify it yourself. It's that you don't want to give that identifier to someone else to then yeah. weaponize, yeah. to have them weaponize that identity against you. Or that I, I don't want to take the space, you know, like I live with so much privilege that like, I already have a seat at the table. Yeah. But I think as long as you acknowledge your privilege, you deserve, you still deserve the space. I have privilege too. I'm a white cis disabled guy with the ability to speak. And I'm saying that very specifically now because we're talking to an SLP. So I like, I I have the ability to speak quite clearly, but I can still say I'm a disabled person. I can still say I have disabilities. I can still say I have invisible disabilities and visible disabilities, but I can say I come to them with a certain amount of privilege. And I think as long as I acknowledge that, then I'm okay. So I think for you, like you, and again, do whatever feels comfy at the moment because at any moment it could change. But like, I think for you, if the things like ADHD and the anxiety and the the tummy stuff because <laughs> I, I know I have it too it's real fun uh-huh. um, if all those things feel like there's something you need to claim to get benefits to get help to get support to feel like who you are in your body I don't see a problem with that I appreciate that I I worry about being the Rachel Dolls all of disability you know like <laughs> I saw that in your form <laughs> and I just about died laughing. I didn't think you would say it here, but it's great that you did because I'm like, oh no, it's that could that could totally be the 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 tagline for the show, for the episode. I worry about me. 
but like (laughs) but like you're not a white person you're not like you're not necessarily non-disabled like your disability manifests in different ways and it's okay to I think it's okay to claim that it's it's a it's no I don't think it's wise to say you have no privilege I think it's also okay to say I am I am chronically ill or I am disabled but I also come with xyz level of privilege and I'm aware of that but I also want to claim this identity too yeah that makes sense I I appreciate that um because it's identity identities in general are something that I struggle with um so thank you for this mini therapy session oh I'm (laughs) I'm glad that I'm glad that it turned into like me that feels very affirming to me well I'm glad because I feel like and you're you're like the and if you because I know you listen you're like the 12th person on the show to be like I know I think I I have this but I'm not sure and I don't I don't feel like it's okay to claim it and me constantly going it's okay it's all right it's an identity piece but but also like recognize it and I think this conversation is important because it shows that like our relationship to disability is not linear you Mm -hmm. don't go from being from being in so many cases from being non-disabled to disabled overnight and you just don't claim it it takes a whole lot of time and even if you are born disabled the process of claiming that terminology for yourself can be mm-hmm. can take forever so what i'm saying is take your time with it it doesn't have to change overnight <laughs> like you don't have to change your whole self with this new title but it is something you i think you know you should be allowed to percolate with and play with and see if it fits thank you and yeah every time i listen to another episode and they're talking about not being able to or not feeling comfortable claiming that talking about disability talking about themselves with disability my initial reaction is always you get it like <laughs> if this is part of your life you get it my friend <laughs> i mean yeah it just doesn't count for me yeah like but but again pretty much every guest that i've talked to that have, that feels that way has said the same thing i don't feel like i count <laughs> i don't feel like i matter i don't deserve this or they'll say the other extreme is there's somebody so much worse than me. And it's like, well, that's not helpful either. Like, yeah, we should all be supporting each other. So what I'm saying is if you reach a place where claiming chronic illness and claiming disability is something that you want to do, like do that also, because I think in your, (laughs) in your practice as a speech language partner, I'm going to just use it now because I love it. I'm into Um, it. I'm so into it. uh, You know, you're, you're, the people you work with, the people you partner with can, can feel, can feel comfort in like, Hey, she's got stuff too. Like in the questionnaire, you also mentioned that you live with anomia. Can mm-hmm. you, um, first, can you describe what that is and how that affects you? <laughs> yeah. Um, so it, my anomia means that I lose words fairly frequently. Um, and then that's like what anomia is. I, will just be talking and then there's a word that I just can't, it's on the tip of my tongue and I know it and I know I've said it before and it's frequently not a particularly interesting word even, um, but I, I cannot find it for the life of me. And I'm, I'm fairly adept at talking around it and a lot of people, depending on how important that word was, might not notice it. Um, it does make me a little bit, it makes me sound a little bit rambly. Um, cause I realize I've gotten to a place and now I have to go around it. 
um, which makes speech pathology a really interesting uh, career choice for me, um, because that is something that I work with with my clients, finding ways to get around words that we can't find, finding ways to retrieve words that uh, are just on the tip of the tongue. Like and, imagine if, if you came uh, out to your speech, speech pathology client and said like, hey, I have this and like what you're going through, I know what it feels like and I can... I can not only empathize, but I live it too. Um, so don't feel so bad about it. Because I mean, when we go into those therapeutic situations with any kind of therapeutic person, whether it's an OT, a PT, or mm-hmm. an S- now an SLP, like I did speech language pathology um, when I was a kid and it was to get rid of my stutter and to get rid of my, like I had I had laughing fits and I had, I mean, I still do. I'm a huge giggler. I had to do a... I had to do a, I had to read a audiobook chapter for a book that I was a part of the other day. And I had to call this, I had to do a Zoom call with the producer from, from London, England. And she uh-huh. called me and we were, I had to sit there and read it and do it. Like I had to read the whole chapter, but as myself and like with all the intonation, I just started giggling because I was like, this is ridiculous. So there's about two hours of her going, okay, that line was really good, but you kept laughing. <laughs> stop giggling and I just I so I guess what I'm saying is like when we do all that stuff with these SLPs you know they're the therapists they're the ones who have it so perfect and they're the ones that are going to tell us how we're wrong so if you come at it and say like I have shit too person uh-huh. I'm working with like don't feel so bad yeah, and I've, I mean, to an extent, I've done that before, but I never understood why I had anomia in the first place. We all have it a little bit, right? Like, everybody has moments where they couldn't, they can't find the word that they're looking for. I do it a lot more. Um, and I just, I never knew why. And I, it, it never linked to anything. Like, I, to my knowledge, haven't had a stroke. Like, I, it's the ADHD. Apparently, this is a symptom of ADHD. I had no flipping clue. Um, so, now with my relatively new diagnosis of ADHD, uh, <laughs> now I, now I know, and that is, that has just been so affirming to me. Not that it doesn't change that necessarily, but just having, just knowing why. Having a diagnosis. And so yes. that's, that's why, that's why I found it like, cause you, you mentioned all this before we hit record and I was like, she's so okay with all this. But then when you, when you suggest that she could have it too she's like oh no no I'm not sure how I feel. <laughs> like so so like I find the journey that you're going through to try to come to a place where this is okay very like interesting and as just from talking to you I can see that it isn't linear like what there are days where you're like yep and then there are days where you're like nope I don't like it <laughs> that seems correct yeah which is I think I think that's really valuable um let me just pull up my questions again because I don't remember what I'm supposed no, to so I've, as you are doing that, I just want to thank you because I think I've come up to that to the edge of that thank you a couple of times. And so, if you're pulling up a question, that's what I'm going to do. Um, I so your questionnaire is actually the thing that pushed me to go and find a diagnosis for my ADHD. Oh um, wow! Yeah, because the first question I think, or one of the first questions, is essentially like tell me about your disabilities. <laughs> Pretty uh, much. And I was like, oh, what? None. Oh, ooh, ugh. maybe. 
Um, and then as I was trying to answer that question, I was like, you know what, there's this thing that I really need to figure the heck out um, that I've spent my entire life not understanding. And that's what finally drove me to go and like seek a diagnosis for this stuff that was going on, specifically the attention and the anxiety and the, the anomia. Um, and what and was so, it, what was the process you? of like, well, thank you. Again, that feels super like humbling and affirming for me, but also very strange because I make this mm. show for my bedroom and don't think that it does any impact <laughs> to anybody. But, but like, I'm so happy that it does. But also what, what was it like to kind of start that journey for you of I'm going to seek a diagnosis because I know a lot of people when they start looking up diagnoses or looking up how to do this they feel like they've done something wrong they feel like they're like bad now they feel like it's really scary to say I'm going to find out what's wrong with me as a human um I you know my fear didn't so much come from the idea of then getting a diagnosis I think I had spent so long with this idea that there's probably something diagnosable um, that, and I'm, I mean, I'm a scientist by nature. I, I do research into communication and swallowing disorders. Like I, so having labels for things is actually something that feels relatively comfortable for me. I know it doesn't seem that way. But yeah, it doesn't. It but does not. It does not. Uh, <laughs> But uh, like, the, so the idea of having a label was something that felt, especially a label that somebody else gave to me and that I didn't have to then claim for myself, like, here, enjoy. Um, here's a platter. It is on it. Uh, that sounded <laughs> like that sounded good. Um, but the, the thing that I think had held me back for so long, we talked about this kind of briefly off the air was our in writing at some point. I don't know. We've been in communication a little bit for yeah, quite a while. For a while. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, is that I'm afraid of the medical system that I work in. Um, I am a medical speech pathologist who works in the United States. Um, but I like, I am very afraid of money as it relates to the medical system. Um, because I never know how much anything is going to cost. The United States is very broken in that way, as I know that you know already. I do know. Uh-huh. Um, and I, uh, so I live a very, like, middle-class existence at this point, but my fam, like, my mother grew up in Taiwan picking peanuts. Um, it was a very big deal for her to get to go to school. Like, I go back home, and it's, like, dirt floors, baths and metal buckets outside kind of situation. And I always knew that here in the United States, uh, my parents growing up, like we're making ends meet, but we're making ends meet by working like 12 plus hours a day. I knew we had health insurance, but it was catastrophic health insurance, which I don't, I still don't really know what that means, but I know it's bad. Uh, <laughs> like, and so like the idea of going to a doctor was like, unless it's a hundred percent absolutely an emergency yeah unless you're gonna die or like something (laughs) is gonna happen to you you shouldn't go definitely not um and so I still even though though I have slight like better health insurance now there is no good health insurance in the United States there's Um, health insurance generally is a silly concept that should be abolished like why do we even have it it's been, so painful. <laughs> I've been reading. I just started reading Tessa Miller's um, "What Doesn't Kill You." 
Yes. Which is all about her experience with with IBD and and chronic illnesses and a whole bunch and disability and a whole bunch of other stuff. And she does a whole chapter about the f- downfall, the like the ridiculousness of the American health insurance system and i'm just mm-hmm. like oh wow i'm so happy that i don't live there it's like, absolute, oh, no. yeah oh it's so painful and so you have no idea how much anything is going to cost so i just always assume that it's going to be catastrophic yeah and, it, I, 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 and like maybe that's the reason why you don't want to claim disability because like claim that identify for yourself or being chronically ill or having an invisible disability would it however you want to term it, but you don't want to claim any of that because the minute you do, then your whole relationship to the healthcare system will change again. That's very true. I hadn't really thought about that, but that is, that is very true. Most disabled people or chronically ill people live in like a whole other bucket of poverty uh-huh. like, that is, that is even with any kind of privilege is still like, whoa, the minute you the minute you claim you're disabled in the U.S. healthcare system or in the Canadian one, really, things become exorbitantly more expensive. Things, but you can't just get the care you need. It all it has to go through all these systems and all these this red tape and all this mm-hmm. decision. So I can under so maybe the reason why you're having such trouble with the idea of being a disabled person is that you know how fucked up the medical system is. It really is. And from a practitioner who's kind of on the inside, I have no control over it. You know, like I have no idea what happens with billing. I don't touch it. (laughs) And so if one of my patients gets a bill for my services, like three years later, I have no freaking clue about it. And that's a heavy weight to bear too. Yeah, because obviously you'd want to help if you could and you'd want to like- Yeah. I remember being in the U.S. system. I was in the U.S. and I had I had was having gallbladder problems. This was like mm. ten years ago, and I was in Florida and I got sick and I was in the hospital in in Florida for about ten days with like I was really really sick and so they they hounded me from the second I walked in the hospital before they treated me and said how are you going to pay for this today and I said I didn't get travel insurance I didn't get any insurance because I was mm-hmm. twenty eight or something. And I was like, I didn't, I just didn't know. I'm not versed in this and I'm sick. Help me. So they took care of me, but they sent me bills for two to three years after the fact. Mm -hmm. And I just didn't pay. I kept saying, I have, I live on social assistance. I have no money, Mm -hmm. cannot pay you. Like, uh, and they, you know, eventually they stopped, but they sent me bills forever. And I was like, "I, I will never pay this. I can't. Yeah, I had a baby in 2019, and a couple months ago, I got a brand new bill. (laughs) (laughs) Two years later. Yeah, (laughs) she's about to be two. Like, a brand new bill. This wasn't a bill that I had received previously and didn't pay. It was brand new. And, like, it was $400 on top of the $2,000 on top of this other, like, it just it's impossible to know. I had, uh, every few years, I go, I, I, like, get up the uh, courage to go to a doctor to try to figure out my digestive whatever is going on uh, and they'll run a test and it'll be inconclusive uh, and I just like wait for the bills to come in because I can't like they want to run 75 more tests and I'm like I can't yeah there's no way like like no so like you know you you talk so much about about living in intergenerational poverty and I can see now why the idea of claiming disability is so scary because that means 
if you claim disability that and especially if you do it in any kind of legal way mm-hmm. that your ability to make income or get any kind of support will be hugely scrutinized because they'll be like what do you mean you have a disability you're working yeah like, that's true and like, I, I mean i send money to my my parents and my grandmother back in taiwan and like people are counting on me i can't so screw this up do you like <clears throat> do you have any connection to does your family have any connection to disability in Taiwan and how that's treat how it's treated over there or no? Um, not so much. I honestly, I can't, I don't really know. Um, my Mandarin isn't the best and my, my family is not super, um, educated regarding medical information. Um, so every once in a while something will happen and I won't have, I won't be able to access that information very well because I get it kind of third hand and I'm like, oh, uh, so-and-so is in the hospital. Well, what's going on? They just needed to be in the hospital. Wait, what? <laughs> but, but why though? Oh, well, the, like, she's old. She needs to be in the hospital. Uh, uh... That's not how that works. I don't. Okay. <laughs> um, so I, I honestly don't know. I wish I did. It's. Well, but I was more kind of asking, like, I wonder what would happen if you claimed disability and culturally how your, how your mom and your grandma and your family over there would receive that information. I think because it's not a, f- well, I mean, the, the pain is physical, but because it's not visible, they wouldn't. Honestly, like it, it just doesn't count. Do some exercise, like have some tea. You'll be fine. <laughs> I've heard that from people who have come from Asian families where it's like you and I've had people on the show who've said like, yeah, because I'm Asian, I can't show mm-hmm. my disability and I have to just drink tea and get better and I'll be fine. Yeah. And, and like the number of different types of teas that I would then be forced to consume. <laughs> Uh, just doesn't sound particularly appetizing to me. Ginseng is like not my favorite, uh, <laughs> but it would get shoved down my throat, I think. Like a lot of it. <laughs> Fun. Well, at least as a speech language pathologist, you know how to swallow it all down. Exactly. So that's not so bad. Um, but tell me a little bit more about your new business venture and what you want to do with this. Tell me a little bit about like how it came to be. Tell me about how it came to be what it is and what you want it, what you're hoping to do with it. Yeah, of course. Um, so the language for sex is my new business venture. And my goal with it is to teach speech language pathologists, both that like, you probably should be talking directly to your clients about sex and intimacy and how their communication disorder or swallowing disorder is affecting it. Cause your clients are most likely not going to bring it up themselves, but they probably need some help. Like if they have a communication concern, it's going to affect their intimate and sexual life. Yeah. Um, and it's so stigmatized talking about sex that most people don't want to just bring it up with a healthcare provider. Like the healthcare provider needs to be the one who takes the ownership of that. Yeah. Uh, so you need to do it. And here's how to do it without being uncomfortable and weird about it. And here are some of the conversations you're probably going to have. This started because I had one of these conversations and I was not expecting to because it just it wasn't something that had ever that I had ever thought about. Um, but I uh, 
I was at a friend's birthday party and my friend is poly and queer and trans and just like has this amazing community of people around them. Um, and uh, so it was already a very open and uh, um, I don't know, just like a welcoming place. I love their community and I'm kind of on the outskirts of it kind of, um, but I, I was at this birthday party and somebody I didn't even know came up to me and she's like, hey, you're Laura, right? I've got my spouse here um, has some speech needs. I hear you're a speech thing because uh, nobody, again, knows what a speech nobody pathologist is. is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you do something like that. Can you help us? And I was thinking, uh, you know, probably the person has some sort of swallowing need. I'm probably going to say, Hey, you should probably like actually go check, get this checked out, have an x-ray, whatever. Um, and she started talking about how her spouse had had a stroke and uh, now he was having some difficulty finding the right words and moving his mouth. And the big problem that they were having was in the bedroom. Uh, and I thought like, Oh, and she said this to you at a birthday party. At a birthday were... party. Wow. Yep. Yeah. I mean, Yep. <laughs> and I thought to myself, like my heart came up in my throat. Like, I don't know. This isn't me. Oh my gosh. Don't tell me anything more about this. I can't help. Who do I send you to? Oh, well, if your problem is that like, you can't access your safe word, um, it, it, like in the moment reliably, like that's, that's not a sex therapist. That's not a, an OT. That's, oh, fuck. That's a speech pathologist. Um, and actually, that's exactly the kind of speech pathologist that I am. I need to be better at this. And just like earlier when we were talking about like, and then the floodgates kind of open and then the floodgates freaking open. <laughs> uh, and I was like, oh, well, this is, I am who I need to get better at this. And so I started taking all these sex education classes. I started reading these books. And of course, there's, there's nothing out there about communication disorders and sex in terms of like, and then what do we do? There's a little bit of information in terms of like research that yes, in fact, people with communication disorders do need help talking about sex and talking like with intimacy communication in general, but that's it. It's like, well, we need resources. I'm going to create them. And so that's what I'm trying to do. That's amazing. And so how, how are you looking to go about creating these resources? Like what kind of stuff do you need? Cause I, hearing that story, I'm like, how do I, what can I, how do I use my disability after dark community to like get those resources to you? Um, I want to amplify other people's voices. I, I think you've probably noticed this about me. I'm not super like comfortable being in the spotlight myself. Uh, the irony also- is <laughs> listeners that Laura is sitting in a spotlight right now. So her whole face is illuminated. It's very funny. It's very funny. Uh, yeah. I have yet to figure out how to use this ring light. It is far too far above me. Um, but otherwise it's blinding. I can't see. Uh, um, yeah. I mean, I, I think the big thing that I, I desperately need is more voices from people who have communication concerns in this space. And if the more that I can amplify people's lived experiences, the better that is, I think, for people. I can yak about communication disorders from a point of like both privilege and also like uh, like academic knowledge. And I can talk a little bit about like my own anomia, 
But the more that I can amplify other people's voices, that is something that I want to do because I think that is something that I should be doing, honestly. Okay, I'm going to put the call up for you. Anyone listening who has a speech impediment or impairment or disability or something that makes their speech different or makes communication in the bedroom at all an issue for you, reach out to me and I will pass on your information. Well, you can, Laura can also tell us her information at the, end, at the end of the show. But yes, do all of those things. Oh, please do. And if you're an augmentative or alternative communication user, if you use a device, please. Yes. I had the opportunity to speak with Eva Sweeney. Gosh, she's amazing. Eva is amazing. (laughs) I was going to say, I was just going to say, Eva is someone you should talk to. I'm glad that you connected. Eva. Oh, she's amazing. Um, I I have nothing but great things to say about her. Um, And I just, I... As I mean, I, I don't have much of a platform just yet, but as much as I can use any any platform, any like being in a, one of those like therapy professions m- means that you unfortunately sometimes get listened to more than the people who actually have the lived experience, which is bullshit. Yeah. Um, but as much as I can use that privilege to make people listen to the people who actually have lived experiences, that's something that I would really want to do so i'm gonna say it again anybody with speech pathology anything or a speech impediment or impairment or 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 stuff or whatever it is reach out to one to one of us and we'll i'd love to connect because i think you're right we don't talk about if i couldn't talk during the sex that i have with people or couldn't emote or couldn't Mm -hmm. communicate what felt good or what didn't feel good my sex would suck. It would suck. I wouldn't enjoy it. And I like sucking things, but if I can't <laughs> if I can't communicate that I like sucking it, it's not fun for anyone. Right. Nor and is like, it safe. Like, nor is it safe no. anymore. Because how do you tell somebody that this doesn't feel good or I don't like this? Right. It, and how do you even get to that point? Right? Yeah. Like, hey, I'm interested in you. That is immensely difficult. Um, like how do you like like, part of what I'm seeing for this this new venture of yours is like talking to to people with speech impediments and impairments and speech disabilities about how do you flirt if you can't speak like how do you like also a lot of people with CP who have speech disabilities also can't sign because they also have muscle issues Mm -hmm. that make signing completely impossible so Mm -hmm. like because the people have said, oh, they could just sign. And it's like, well, what if they know? Like, right. So I think there's a whole bunch of avenues you could do with the language for sex, yeah. right? Yes. Um, yeah. And then people with CB who, CP who have like difficulty moving the muscles of their mouth, have difficulty uh, signing, frequently use those augmentative and alternative communication devices, like to uh, devices that, either verbally communicate or help you like you can use a little laser pointer to point at different letters yeah like a bliss board right Uh, yeah yeah yeah, exactly I'm not sure how technical to be um but the uh, what was oh those devices when they are picture based uh often have absolutely no words on them for sex yeah like listen if I was somebody who couldn't speak 
Mm-hmm. I would love a picture of a dick. Yeah. <laughs> I would love some boobs on my bliss board to say yeah. like, this is what, or I'm also thinking of for like, if you have to direct your own care and you want to say, touch me in it, like mm-hmm. wash here, touch here, mm-hmm. do this with this here. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. it, would be, it would be impossible to say penis if you couldn't say penis and had no picture for it. Right. And a lot of times they might have pictures that just say penis, but like they won't have anything that is more specific than that. Or if there is anything more specific, it gets shoved on the same page as like abuse. Yeah. Yeah. And so oh, if I you have want to, yeah. So mm-hmm. many feelings about, <laughs> I have so many feelings about what you just said. Like it's so, the fact that we equate sexuality uh-huh. to sexuality and disability to risk and abuse and knowing now that in speech pathology circles it's only connected to abuse because i didn't know that until five seconds ago mm-hmm. now i'm enraged because it's yeah. like well, it's like what the fuck is this just people who have speech disabilities also want to fuck and also yeah. deserve to see sexuality as a pleasurable thing yeah and that's something that i've i've struggled with i again my business is is a baby. Um, but that is something that I've been struggling with because I know I have very little buy-in so far for speech pathology. It's new. I'm new. I'm, I feel like I'm shouting into the void. Um, but I know that the easiest way to, for me to find buy-in is to focus on abuse, to focus on how like people with disabilities are at a higher risk of sexual abuse. And if they can't communicate about that, that's, that puts them at an even higher risk. And so we need to be working on that. But again, that's bullshit, right? Like that is true, but just focusing on, like there is so much more. Yeah, People deserve way, so much more than that. People the way deserve it so much is, better than that. The way it is codified in texts and manuals uh-huh. and now on bliss boards, I'm learning. It's, uh-huh. like, it's like, wow, this is this is so inappropriate because like do they have a word is there a word on bliss boards for pleasure i wonder if there's buttons for pleasure like i wonder if they have that because if they don't they should right and if they if they don't you should make one like wouldn't why don't we create a bliss board that's all about sexy words like like, exactly (laughs) and you could say i want to put i want you attending care worker to put on my sexy bliss board now. Mm-hmm. Like, and stuff like that is kind of out there if you know where to search for it. Like there's this one blog that if you like really, really search, somebody has created these um, like printable boards. Um, and if you if you have a speech pathologist who's into it, who is com- like programming your communication board, some people program their own communication devices. Some people yeah. don't have that option. And so you need somebody else to program those words in for you. And if you can't communicate what words you want programmed in, we're at an impasse. Yeah. If someone else is telling you the language you're allowed to use, Mm -hmm. like that means, and not only sexually, that also means you couldn't say fuck if you wanted to, Mm -hmm. you couldn't swear, you couldn't express entirely how you're feeling. And that's almost, that's almost torture. It's just ab- it's abuse is what it's it is abuse. because you're taking away their voice or you're not mm-hmm. you're not even taking it away you're not giving them one mm-hmm. you're saying these are the acceptable words you're allowed to say 
on this board, I'm deciding for you. Like mm-hmm. a dirty bliss board would be so fun to make. Somebody with speech stuff, Eva Sweeney, like, like talk to us. <laughs> we want to do I'm this so with into you. it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because yeah, have and this is why it's so important that like providers like me be open and not just open, like, but knowledgeable about sexuality and intimacy. Like, because whether we want to or not, whether we realize it or not, we are sometimes gatekeepers, which is bullshit. Sometimes. (laughs) Like. (laughs) Sometimes? You mean all the time? (laughs) Well, not for all of our clients, but like in this situation, like, yes. And we need to recognize that that is true and we need to break down those walls as much as we possibly can. Like we have an obligation. Yeah. Because towards sexual liberation. Because one day when you, you know, live with aphasia or, mm-hmm. or, or Alzheimer's or something happens to, to you, like you as the general person in the world, when something happens to you where your speech is affected you're going to want to be able to say, I still want to suck that dick, even though I can't talk about it. Yeah. And so we need to, like, I just think the fact that, the fact that even I, my again, my seasoned disability, like, awareness stuff, never really gave thought to how I would feel if I couldn't speak and how my sexuality would be impacted if I couldn't say, oh, fuck me harder, daddy, mm-hmm. if I wanted to. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, how I couldn't do all that would be, Oh my God, I would miss out on so much. It really, it's a big can of worms. And frequently people with communication disorders get left out of that conversation because it's harder to have the conversation in the first place, right? Yeah. Accessing surveys, super difficult. Yeah. Uh, it, like calling, talking in a podcast, maybe very difficult. Yeah, I mean, I, I've done a couple with Eva and yeah. luckily she had her person with her. And so we that's how we communicated but I can imagine if a person wasn't there how long it would have taken her to have to put it in a board and then have me or someone read it out it takes time but that doesn't that's not to say it's not impossible I think right part of the thing about ableism yeah of course part of the thing about ableism that I find really frustrating with this this speech disability community is that we don't give them patience we don't just fucking wait for them to finish. And I, I'm guilty of it. I've done it to other people where they'll be trying to get a word out. And I'll say, oh, you mean this? Yeah, I got it. Don't worry about it. It's like, no, shut the fuck up and let <laughs> them finish. And so we don't let them just finish. And sure, you got to sit there for five minutes. But does it really matter? They're trying to speak to you. They're trying to communicate. Why are you being such a dickwad and not letting them do that? <laughs> yup. I mean... Y- yeah (laughs) um we uh, we don't listen very well as a society already to anyone um and you add in something that requires time a little bit of patience a little bit of when when a person has aphasia and they're the words that are coming out aren't the ones that they mean to have coming out um a little bit of kind of problem solving and a lot of people just just run run you right over yeah they don't listen or they're or they're so afraid of you like mm-hmm. i'm thinking of all the tv shows where i've watched where somebody is 
a character has a has a stroke or or is you know has aphasia or like has a speech problem how scared the -hmm. other characters get around them and I can't imagine like having that be an issue for me in real life and having people just look at you like oh no you're completely different than what I expected you to be because you've said things that are that are not right so I can imagine for you having anomia like well it's not entirely the same you not being able to communicate they probably look at you a bit differently and they're like oh it is more difficult to come across as what people think of as professional it's like reputable it's like Mm -hmm. somebody they should pay attention to because Mm -hmm. if my speech pathologist can't even get her words why am Mm i why am i listening to her right and that's that just shows you how deeply ingrained our society is in ableism and our society is in like but for me as a disabled person if you said I like the fact that I know you have tummy stuff I'm like oh now we're best friends because I also (laughs) have tummy stuff and I know how like debilitating it can be and so like I just think for you to go back to like the question of you know should you claim disability I think for you in this space if it's something that feels comfy for you Mm -hmm. it would make your relationship with your clients or your partners that much more impactful for both of you. I think that's a very good point. Like, and I know it's scary and it's not something that you should like, it's not going to, you don't have to come to the decision right now, but I think percolating with it and playing with it and thinking about how it's going to impact your life and the, and how it's going to impact the privileges you have Mm -hmm. is an important thought process to go through. But I'm saying as somebody who is severely disabled in a lot of ways, it's okay to claim that too. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> Anytime. Um, I ran out of questions. I'm, we're, we're kind of, we, we went all over the place, but we're done kind of the, the, the questions. Um, mm-hmm. Is there anything else that you want to touch on that we haven't yet? I think something that I just want to have out there in the ether is that most of my clients at some point will tell me I'm still me after my stroke or after my traumatic brain injury. I'm still me. I'm still funny. I'm still whatever. Um, And people don't see that. Um, And that's, it's always so heartbreaking to me, right? Like, yeah. um, it's hard because people, mm-hmm. and again, that shows you the level of ableism that we're so, it's so ingrained in us that if you, that if something happens to you, you're forever changed. And mm-hmm. I'm sure in many ways they are forever changed if they go through, if they, if they're a stroke survivor or if they're a traumatic brain, brain injury survivor, they're forever changed. But also the fact that they are having to say to you, I'm still me, shows you how scared they are that everyone else will just abandon them. Mm-hmm. And everyone else would just leave them and see them as like, which I can imagine if we're talking about sexuality, how frustrating it is to be like, I still want to fuck you, even though I can't form the words for it. I might still want to have sex with you, or I might still want to be with you, or I still, even though I can't talk, I still want to have intimacy. And I still deserve that, that. Isn't that so much of a part of who we are? That's like the part of who we are. Yeah. Like, that is who we are. We just, we hide that away and like, mm-hmm. oh, sex is just sex. But but intimacy is so much more than like, but somebody with a traumatic brain injury or a stroke survivor has the right 
or anybody with any kind of speech thing has the right to find ways to communicate that they still want to fuck yes. or have great sex or have intimacy or be cuddled or held or touched. And I love with what, with what you're trying to do is to bring that conversation into the mainstream. Why do you think, this is my last question, why do you think the doctors and the other SLPs that you work with uh-huh. are so apprehensive about doing that? I mean, it's a pretty conservative field. Uh, it's a. I mean, Is it a bunch of white men? In speech pathology, it's a bunch of white women. I think cool. we're something like ninety-four percent female, um, and like ninety-two percent white. Cool. So you oh, should start a podcast. So cool. That's called the other eight percent. That's a whole bunch of like pathologists of color. <gasps> POC pathologists. Of color. Somebody should make that a show. I love that. I actually think there is a podcast called Stories from the 8% that recently uh, showed up. And it's a bunch of SLPs of color. Um, Amazing. Good. Which is, yeah, absolutely amazing. Because it's a problem. It's a big problem. We've got a number of big problems. Well, because, I mean, thinking about language and race, I mean, Mm -hmm. different dialects and different understandings of language and different, different types of language will impact how you treat someone who can't speak. And like, like you know, I'm thinking of my stepdad is from the islands and, and spoke Guyanese and Patois for a, long, for a long period of life. And so did his family. And I can imagine if they had a speech disability, how do you treat somebody if you don't know their language? Like if right. you don't, if, you, if somebody is to use another example that I'm making up on the fly, if someone's like Italian and they only speak Italian and they have a speech impediment or disability and you're a white pathologist who doesn't know Italian and who mm-hmm. doesn't have a translator and they can't communicate, like there's so many different layers of that. Exactly. And we know that therapy through a translate, it's just not, when you're talking about communication, it's just not the same. It's just not as good. Yeah. Uh, so having that diversity of different languages, different backgrounds, uh, different races. It's so important. And I wonder uh, it's not like, where we are. This is a question that I have just off the top of my head. Are there, a, do you know if there are AAC devices or bliss boards with different languages on them? Like with different, obviously I'm sure there are some, but like, is it a widespread thing to be like, Hey, this person speaks Mandarin and we want to have a board for them that is Mandarin. Yeah, so fortunately, the big companies have a wide variety of languages that their their communication devices will come in. And then Bliss boards are specifically picture, like symbol-based. So it's not necessarily like one specific um, language, but a a lot of times, like, it can be a lot different more difficult when you're thinking about more of a, like an alphabet board type of situation. Yeah. Every language has their own alphabet type deal. But like, if I'm thinking about Mandarin, um, the way that you go about like writing is very different. It's not just like ABC, the different strokes uh, combined. Yeah, they mean mean different Mm -hmm. things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, And I'm not, I I am not an AAC specialist. So I don't, I don't want to say anything that's a straight up lie. (laughs) So that's, that is like my understanding of the different languages 
it's a lot harder when it's something that's more um, like alphabet E. And of course those alphabet boards, they allow for so much more flexibility than picture-based systems. Yeah, because you can say, you can Anything. spell, you can like change that you can, yeah, completely. Which is why I think that we need we still we need a fuck list board we that's i mean yeah we do we really can i mean i will help design it i'll we should talk to eva not even kidding we should totally talk to eva and be like let's figure this out because this would be a great idea yeah, i want I like bliss pictures of hot dicks on my bliss board that is what i want i will and, make you a bliss board that is 100 percent hot dicks <laughs> I'll give you the porn stars of dicks that I want that uh, from uh, of who I want you to to emulate from. Perfect, I am on it. <laughs> Amazing. Um, on that hilarious note, I think <laughs> I think we've we've done it. We did the interview. It was awesome. Um, I want to make sure that people can actually get a hold of you and contact you to to help starting this business. The language for set for sex. Yes. For not of. I keep messing it up because I put it wrong in the questionnaire. But the language for sex. I want to make sure that people can get a hold of you because I know there are people with speech disabilities who listen to the show and I know the show goes all over the world. So I'd love for people to get a hold of you. How can they do that? Um, I'm on Instagram, the language for sex. Um, for is F-O-R, not the number. I have a Gmail account of the same name, the language for sex at gmail.com. Um, please use those things. My website hmm. is also the language for sex.com. So Amazing. I'll make sure all that's in the show notes um, uh, and I'll do a little intro to just make sure that, that everybody knows that they should be in touch with you. But Laura Wolfer, this was so fun and I'm so happy we did it. Me too. I've really enjoyed this. I came in nervous. I'm leaving feeling very gratified. <laughs> I'm so happy. And I, I, it's, it's early. It's like morning time there. So I'm like, go have breakfast and enjoy your day. Thank you. It's very love- nice to talk to you. It was so fun. I'm any way that I can help with this venture, what you're trying to do. And like, I just think it's amazing. And I think the work you're trying to do around speech pathology and sex is something that up until talking to you, I really had no, I I really had, I didn't realize how interested I was in it until I started like, oh yeah, it's a real thing. So I'm really glad that we got to do this. Me too. Oh, thank you, Andrew. Anytime. So Laura Wolford, thanks for coming on Disability After Dark. And we will talk to you very soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. I'm so happy that I got to connect with Laura in this interview and I got to learn so much more about speech pathology and language and sexuality. And I got to sit with Laura and talk about her disabilities a little bit and her identity and all that. There was so much going on in this interview that I absolutely loved it. I just wanted to make sure that we had Laura's proper contact info because she just changed the name of her business. So it used to be the language of sex and it's now the SPICE Institute, which stands for Speech Pathology Intimacy Communication Education, SPICE. And you can reach out to her at spiceinstitute.org. So hit her up right now if you want to talk about speech pathology and sexuality, which we all should because we're not talking about that hardly enough. So get a hold of her. All right, friends, that's another episode of Disability After Dark from me, your disabled daddy, Andrew Gerza. If you want to follow my work, you can follow me on social media on Instagram and Twitter at Andrew Gerza underscore, or you can follow my website, 
www.andrewgerza.com to find out more about what I do. And of course, you can follow us on Patreon to get the show one day early and completely ad-free by going to patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark. Or you can send us an email to disabilityafterdarkpod at gmail.com and let us know your ideas for an episode, for a minisode, or for a guest spot. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll be back to shine a bright light on your disabled stories next time. Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was presented, created, and produced by Drew Gerza and Wheels on the Ground Productions. Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music, are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Copyright 2020-2021